0: Those the first five verses of Psalm 95, which along with Psalm 94 are the psalms appointed for today, Tuesday, August the 9th, 2022. You're listening to Faith Seeking Understanding, and I'm your host, John Green. Thanks for being along today. We are continuing our look at the book of Judges today, and we're going to be meeting one of the true characters of, of the Old Testament, which is Samson. We're going to get his birth narrative here. Also going to be in John's Gospel, chapter 3, verses 22 to 36, the aftermath of his conversation with Nicodemus. And then finally in the book of the Acts of the Apostles, chapter 5, verses 27 to 42. So we finished yesterday with the story of Jephthah today. Um, We're going to see a sad, sad moment in uh, Israelite history, and that begins with the people of Israel again did what was evil in the sight of the Lord. So the Lord gave them into the hand of the Philistines for 40 years, so for 40 years, they're under Philistine rule in their own lands. And this has everything in the world to do with the failure uh, of the people to conquer the land, to go in and conquer all of the land. There was a certain man of Zorah of the tribe of the Danites. Now the Danites, they were the people of Dan, whose name was Manoah. And his wife was barren and had no children. And the angel of the Lord appeared to the woman and said to her, "Behold, you're barren and I have not born children, but you shall conceive and bear a son." So similar, isn't it, in, in many ways, to the announcement that um, the the Lord makes to Abraham and Sarah? It's similar also to the uh, announcement of of the angel, the archangel, actually, to Zechariah in the temple about the birth of John the Baptist. <clears throat> Therefore. He says, you're going to bear a child, therefore be careful and drink no wine or strong drink and eat nothing unclean, for behold, you shall conceive and bear a son. So, I mean, typically that would be the similar kind of uh, advice a doctor would give (laughs) to a pregnant woman, right? Don't drink any strong uh, drink or wine and then eat nothing unclean. That's a different thing. Um, but for behold, you shall conceive and bear a son. These are good advice for a pregnancy, but more so in this specific instance, because you're going to see here in a second, no razor shall come upon his head. So his hair is always going to grow. It's never going to be cut. For the child shall be a Nazarite to God from the womb, and he shall begin to save Israel from the hand of the Philistines. Now, a Nazarite vow was something you took for a season of time. It was to draw closer to the Lord. And so here the situation is, is, is that he will be a Nazarite to God from birth, in, in the same way that Samuel, the judge, was given by his mother, Hannah, to the Lord from birth. And so this is the same thing. He will be a Nazarite. He will be dedicated to the Lord from his birth, not just for a season of time, but Always. And he shall begin to save Israel from the hands of the Philistines. We know that he doesn't complete that work because we know David has to fight the Philistines. Um, We see him in particular, the Philistines represented by Goliath. So we know the Philistines continue to be a problem for the people for quite a long time. So the woman came and told her husband, quote, A man of God came to me, and his appearance was like the appearance of an angel of God. Very awesome. I did not ask him where he was from, and he didn't tell me his name. But he said to me, Behold, you shall conceive and bear a son, so then drink no wine or strong drink and eat nothing unclean, for the child shall be a Nazarite to God from the womb to the day of his death. It's pretty faithful, right? I mean, it's pretty amazing frequently when we see people representing what's been told to them by an angel, they, they, they will get it mostly right, but they'll add to it or subtract from it. Here she, she gets it exactly right. And then Manoah prayed to the Lord and said, O Lord, please let the man of God whom you sent come again to us and teach us what we're to do with the child who will be born. Now, normally, these announcements are made to the man. Here, it's different because the announcement is made not to the man first, but to the woman. We don't even know her name <laughs> in here either. And so we get this announcement given to the woman. There's there's one other Place where that happens in the Old Testament, that would be with Hannah and Samuel. But then the main place where we see a similar kind of an announcement is when God comes and speaks directly to Mary about the birth of Jesus. So Manoah prays and asks, hey, can you send him again? And God listened to the voice of Manoah, and the angel of God came again to the woman as she sat in the field. But Manoah, her husband, was not with her again. She's alone. So the woman ran quickly and told her husband, Behold, the man who came to me the other day has appeared to me. And Manoah rose and went after his wife and came to the man and said to him, Are you the man who spoke to this woman? Why he didn't say to my wife, I'm not sure. And he said, I am. And Manoah said, Now when your words come true, I mean, he's already accepting this is true. He has accepted this, this person as a true messenger of God in spite of the fact that, that he will be this child will be born out of time as far as it relates to their ability to conceive. So he said, when your words come true, it's much better than John the Baptist's father, right? How can such things be? You know, no, hey, there's no way. What sign are you going to give me that this will happen? No. Manoah accepts this completely on faith. When your words come true, what will be the child's manner of life and his mission? And the Lord Angel of the Lord said to Manoah, "Of all that I said to the woman, let her be careful; she may not eat of anything that comes from the vine, neither let her drink wine or strong drink, or eat any unclean thing. All that I commanded her, let her observe." And so she's essentially going to be taking uh, a Nazarite vow on behalf of the child. It doesn't have anything to do with cutting her hair, but but what he what he will abstain from, he's not even supposed to receive while he's in the womb. Manoah said to the angel of the Lord, please let us detain you and prepare a young goat for you. And remember what you saw when the announcement comes to Abraham and Sarah in the wilderness. What happens is, is that he prepares a meal for them and, and says, Hey, stay here a little bit. So this hospitality is an important part of this. And so she so they beg this one, this angel of the Lord, to stay with them. And it's exactly what you would want to do, right? Let's preserve this moment. Stay here a little bit. In the gospel today, after Jesus had his um, uh, meeting with Nicodemus, he goes out into the Judean countryside with the disciples. So they're in the area around Jerusalem. That's where this would be. So it would be, if you drew a big circle around Jerusalem, that, that would be the tribes of Judah. And that's the Judean countryside. So the places where Judah's ancestral lands were. And he remained there with them and was baptizing. This is the only time we hear of Jesus baptizing. John also was baptizing at Enon near Salim because water was plentiful there and people were coming and being baptized. And why we get this parenthetic, I have no idea. John had not yet been put in prison. Why? Well, I think <laughs> I could have figured that out based on the fact that he's baptizing. Now, a discussion arose between some of John's disciples and a Jew over purification, so the, this discussion arises about what does it mean to be purified, and that would be what they're trying to do and what they are doing in this bapti- baptism. They're going into a mikveh, and, and when you go into a mikveh, a mikveh typically would be something, that, that a pool that's prepared, and it has a certain amount of water in it and all this other stuff, but here they're, they're using the, the river, to do this work. And so that, that was a rite of purification. Water always was part of a rite of purification, right? Because we saw that a few days ago when Jesus had them bring the, take the stone water jars that were for purification rituals, for washing your hands and all that stuff, and then had them fill that to the brim with water, and then it turned into wine, because these things were no longer necessary, because he was among them. And whatever he did, whenever he was there, it made them pure and clean. So here there's a discussion between John's disciples and a Jew over purification. And they came to John and said to him, Rabbi, who was he who was with you across the Jordan to whom you bore witness, look, he's baptizing and all, all are going after him. Now, why this arose out of a discussion over purification, I'm honestly not sure. But John answered them because what they're saying is, look, that Jesus guy, the one who was with you across the Jordan to whom you bore witness is baptizing. And why why they don't say that Jesus guy is over there baptizing and then and all are going to him. So he's baptizing more people than you are. And John answered, a person cannot receive even one thing unless it's given to him from heaven. So everything I've, been, I've had, every, all the success that I've had, all the people who have come out here, that's because of God, not because of me. God sent them out here. I, was, I did my job, and then God sent those people to me. You yourselves bear me witness that I said, I'm not the Christ, but I've been sent before him. He says, I, I never claimed to be him. I pointed to him and said he was, but I didn't claim to be the Christ. You guys, don't put that on me. I'm not jealous at all. Remember, that was the, sort of the theme of yesterday was jealousy. Here, John says, I'm not jealous at all. No, 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 no. I take what God sends to me. And I told you already that I'm not the Christ. He says, the one who has the bride is the bridegroom. The friend of the bridegroom who stands and hears him rejoices greatly at the bridegroom's voice. And so John's saying, he's the bridegroom. I'm just a friend of the bridegroom. That's all I am. I'm happy to be that it gives him joy to do that, to be that, to have that role. He said, "I He's basically saying, "I rejoice greatly that he is here now." Therefore, this joy of mine is now complete. And what is it? Jesus prays for in John fifteen. He prays specifically for that. He says, "This is my commandment that you love one another as I've loved you." And he tells them that they need to abide in his love, just as I've kept my father's commandments and abide in his love. And then he says, this is the command that you love one another as I have loved you with the same quality of love that I love you. So he says, I have, I have um, abided in my father's commandments and if you keep my commandments you will abide in my love just as i have kept my father's commandments and abide in his love and then he says these things i've spoken to you that my joy may be in you and that your joy may be complete and so john says this joy of mine is now complete but because my job is finished i successfully pointed you to messiah my job, my role, my mission that God gave me was to be the forerunner of Messiah and point to him. And now that job is done. And so I'm delighted that he has come. He must increase, but I must decrease. He who comes from above is above all. So he's recognizing that what Jesus said when he told Nicodemus that, that He only one has descended from heaven And therefore, he's the only one who can make the Father known. He says, he who comes from above is above all. He who is of earth himself belongs to the earth and speaks in an earthly way. Again, repeats, he who comes from heaven is above all. So he bookends the statement about himself with he who is of earth. He bookends that with two statements. He who comes from above all is above all. He who comes from heaven is above all. So he's saying, this is who I am. This is who he is. He bears witness to what he's seen and heard, yet no one receives his testimony. We haven't seen it. We haven't heard it. We're only seeing it and hearing it in him, and people aren't receiving that. He says, whoever receives his testimony sets his seal to this. God is true. So when you agree When you receive the testimony of Jesus, you're agreeing with the statement, God is true. And and in other words, he's pointing to Jesus as coming directly from God. For he whom God has sent, which remember what Jesus says, God sent his son into the world in order that the world might have life, not to condemn it. He whom God has sent utters the words of God, for he gives the spirit without measure. So he knows stuff we don't have any access to. The father loves the son. "...and has given all things into his hand. Whoever believes in the Son has eternal life. Whoever does not obey the Son shall not see life, but the wrath of God remains on him." So what this last statement is something that I think we really need to consider a little bit, and it's a very important point that John makes. He's not drawing distinctions between two things. He's telling us what belief means. Whoever believes in the Son has eternal life. That's a standalone statement. There's a semicolon after that. And then he says, whoever does not obey the Son does not see life. And so what he's saying is that if you believe, then you obey. If you don't believe, then you don't obey. But you can't believe and not obey. He said that's the mark of this whole thing. If you believe him, then you're going to obey him. And then if if you believe and obey, you have life. If not, if you don't obey, the wrath of God remains on him. In the epistle, remember what had happened yesterday. It was that they had arrested the disciples, put them in prison. Angel let them out. They come out. They're preaching in the temple again, exactly what they were told not to do by the authorities. But then they were told specifically to do that by the angel who released them. So they arrest them again. And when they brought them, they set them before the council. Remember, the, the chief guard went out and got them, but they took them quietly because they were afraid if they tried to arrest them, then they were going to be stoned by the people. So the high priest questioned them, saying, We strictly charge you not to teach in this name, yet here you have filled Jerusalem with your teaching, and you intend to bring this man's blood on us. What a supreme irony. Yes, I would like to bring this man's blood on you, because that's the only way you're going to be saved, if his blood is on you. I'm just trying to preach you to the point where you're pleading for his blood to be poured out on you and over you, to cleanse you and purify you. So if you want to talk about and have a discussion about purification, that's the discussion to have. The blood of Jesus. He says, we told you not to do this, and here you've gone and done it anyway. But Peter and the apostles answered, we must obey God rather than men. Here we are obedience again. We have to obey God rather than men. And, and Manoah and his wife, the most important thing for them is, how do we obey? We want to get this right. We want to be obedient to the command of the angel of the Lord. And John says, obedience is the mark of one who believes. And so here he says, we must obey God rather than men. Yeah. You told us not to do it, but the angel that led us out told us to do it. So we've got to obey him. They'd already told him that whether it's better to obey you or the, or God, that's up to you to decide, but we have to be obedient. He says, the God of our fathers raised Jesus, whom you killed by hanging him on a tree. So what he's doing is he's presenting a paradox. The paradox is this, the, the, uh, in Leviticus, it says, cursed is he who hangs on a tree. So Peter uses that imagery exactly, whom you killed by hanging him on a tree. So he, he's, there's a paradox there. He hung on a tree, so he must be cursed, right? Nope. This God of our fathers raised Jesus. So how's the paradox resolved? Whom you killed. So he was hung on a tree, but yeah, but you killed him. So, but the blessing of God was on him for resurrection, not a curse. God exalted him as his right hand as leader and savior to give repentance to Israel and forgiveness of sins. So God didn't curse him. He exalted him. He resurrected him and he exalted him to give repentance to Israel and forgiveness of sins. He, notice what he doesn't say. He doesn't extend that beyond the nation. He said, and we're witnesses to these things, and so is the Holy Spirit, has, whom God has given to those who obey him. Obedience is an important part of the Holy Spirit, because the Holy Spirit is led, is given to us to teach us and lead us into all truth. So when we accept something is true, we're obedient to it. And that's what Paul's going to say, I was obedient to the heavenly vision. And so we need to be obedient. If we would have more of the Spirit, the best way to have more of the Spirit is walk in obedience. When they heard this, they were enraged and wanted to kill them. But a Pharisee in the council named Gamaliel, a teacher of the law, held in honor by all the people, stood up and gave orders to put the men outside for a little while. Now, Gamaliel was one of the two great rabbis of the age. So it's important that Gamaliel, who has a huge following, It's important for him to be the one to stand up and say this because he's an important figure, not only at the time, but also in Jewish history. So he said to them, men of Israel, take care what you're about to do with these men. For before these days, Thutis rose up claiming to be somebody and a number of men, about 400, joined him. He was killed, and all who followed him were dispersed and came to nothing. And after him, Judas the Galilean rose up in the days of the census and drew away some of the people after him. He too perished, and all who followed him were scattered. So in the present case, I tell you, keep away from these men and let them alone. For if this plan or undertaking is of man, it'll fail. But if it's of God, you won't be able to overthrow them. In fact, you might even be found opposing God. So what his counsel was, would be typical of Gamaliel, would be to wait and see, to step back, not, not take rash action concerning these men, but no, wait and see. Look, God's got a way of sorting these things out. You know, these other guys, he says, came, raised up, claimed to be somebody, people followed him, went away. Just treat it like that. But if not, guys, we could be wrong. He left the option in there for that. So they took his advice. And When they had called in the apostles, they beat them and charged them not to speak in the name of Jesus and let them go. I mean, we've already done this. We didn't do the beating part, but we did do the, the warning part. So maybe they thought, okay, we'll add a punishment to it and see if that'll discourage them from doing it. Did it? Nope. They then they left the presence of the council rejoicing that they were counted worthy to suffer dishonor for the name. Because Jesus says, Blessed are you when you're reviled and persecuted for my name's sake. So th- they see the fulfillment of that. They see the fulfillment of the promise that Jesus made that they would be persecuted. They would suffer dishonor for his name's sake. And so y- there's nothing you can do. There's nothing you can do because th- they consider it a good thing if you persecute them and treat them badly. And every day in the temple, And from house to house, they did not cease teaching and preaching that the Christ is Jesus. They were obedient to the command that he gave them. They were obedient to the angel who let them out. They were obedient in every single way. They were obedient in rejoicing, even in suffering dishonor for the name of Jesus. They they saw themselves as standing in his shoes, continuing the mission that he had been given, and they had no fear any longer. Obedience is the way to have more of the Spirit and to see more of God's work in your life and through your life.